Welcome to the Sheila Palmer Extractive Podcast as we continue our conversation on local content policies in mineral oil and gas sector. Today, my guest is uh, all the way from Washington. Sagari Kaplan is a founder and vice president of Sustainable Business Group at DAI, a firm based in Washington. For years now, he has been analyzing, advising, and implementing local content policies and development programs worldwide. He has provided technical advice in parts of Africa, Latin America, and Canada, especially in the minerals and energy space. More recently, Sakari has been looking at translating the experiences in local content to new industries such as marine renewable, healthcare, and manufacturing, and then utilities. I had the pleasure of meeting Sakari when I was living in Washington, D.C. recently. Sakari, welcome to my podcast. It's very nice to have you all the way from Washington. Thank you, Sheila. It's a pleasure to be to be asked to participate and have the time to, to speak with you. So uh, very, very pleased to be here and speaking and talking today. That's lovely. So given your experience and, and the fact that you've been involved in the local content space for so long, and given the times we find ourselves in, I thought I'd talk to you about what you observe now in local content space under the onslaught of COVID-19. What have we learned about the challenges of trying to implement local content policies in a pandemic? I think it's, uh, uh, I think local, local content as a practice, as a field has been dynamic, continues to be dynamic. And, and the challenges we faced with COVID have underscored the change thinking I would say that, that we don't have an endpoint in, in sight right now where this is taking us, but I can speak a little bit to some of the, the trends, some of the uh, opportunities, and I think some of the gaps that this has exposed in, in the thinking around the utility and the value of local content. I think first first trend that we're seeing is some, some may have expected that uh, the impact, the economic impact of COVID on world economies, on commodities in the energy sector would have resulted because of a drop in commodity prices and because of drops in shareholder value of many of these publicly traded companies. I think the, hypoth- the, the, the thinking was this would relax local content requirements to open up countries or sectors to be more competitive, cost competitive in many ways for new investment. We haven't seen that. Now, it's still early days, but I don't anticipate that we will see that per se, because the this is being counterbalanced even more strongly with the belief that we need to use local content as a policy tool to stimulate economic local economic recovery in the core sectors of an economy and in new sectors as countries look to rebuild and recover from the impact. And that's gonna be a multi-year process. I don't think that this is just a six month trend line that we're going to see and then reverse. So that's one of the big trends that I think we're seeing as a result uh, of COVID today. So, so you see that actually because of the slowdown in the economies of resource dependent countries, the drive for local content and the need to use it essentially to energize the economies will be greater. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. But let, let's take a, a different perspective. Many of the countries not just create, you know, the, they don't just provide policies and laws. Actually, they prescribe in terms of quantities and percentages. Given the interruption that the pandemic has caused, how realistic and how feasible is it for countries to still provide the actual quantums for local content? 
I think prescription of specific targets is a very dangerous thing pre-COVID or in a COVID world or a COVID world for the simple reason that if it's not going to be a pandemic, there are other exogenous things that come and disrupt supply chains, whether it's a bad tropical storm, whether it's seasonality changes in a manufacturing based technology. And so I worry about prescriptive targets in primary legislation. I think it's something that needs to be uh, evaluated routinely to see where the industrial base is, where the global and local markets look like in order to recalibrate those, but continue to try and build them and optimize what, what, what is happening there. So I'm afraid that oftentimes there is a knee-jerk reaction that if you don't prescribe it, it won't get done or accomplished. The data that we've seen more often than not for prescriptive targets says that companies will find a way to, to meet them in some way, shape, or form because nobody wants to be non-compliant or pay penalties. But these are uh, uh, often arbitrarily set and too aspirational and will result in, in not the value creation to get to that target that's really needed. I think there is uh, a more informed way and a more flexible way to be rigorous on implementing local content with regulations, policies, uh, schedules of targets, but being mindful and aware of uh, and trying to adapt a learning framework and a learning policy perspective so that you're, you're constantly revisiting those targets or those ranges in line with the realities. That's interesting because you are right. I've, I myself have had that pushback saying, look, we've been there before. You don't prescribe it, it doesn't happen, and so we do it because we are the law of the land. But some people like you argue that that is not sustainable because then you get the bare minimum. Let's kick the can down the road and ask another question. So one of the obvious disruptions caused by this pandemic, and for that matter, many others, is that it cripples the infrastructure as relates to movements of goods, but also as relates to logistics of cross-border trade. In your mind, what does that tell us about the future of local content as part of this infrastructure of moving goods from place to place? I think it's, it's, it's this, this, this is the multi-billion dollar question. And this, I hope that we can continuously ask that question and revisit it as we see it play out. I think what we will see is a new calculation of cost of what it means to do something locally. Uh, before the pandemic, we really thought about the cost of, 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 of supplying locally versus the cost of a, uh, of a global contractor or, or a, as you said, regionally. But those costs didn't take into account the risks of a pandemic and not being able to secure your supply of particular goods and services or a, uh, the shutdown of a border post where you cannot get something from country A to country B even over land because of quarantine effects or because of economic activity in one or the other. In the same way that I think we're rethinking the cost of local supply, when we think it through the lens of, of carbon emissions, it may be cheaper on a unit good to source something far away, but when you take into the cost of the carbon emissions of moving that particular good halfway around the world versus the 10% increase in manufacturing it locally to the same degree, to the same quality, to the same time, but you only have to move it a few miles to source, 
then the cost of that carbon emission, if we value and monetize it, may actually change the thinking and the, the sourcing. So I think when we look at, at the impact of, of pandemics on that infrastructure, like you said, I think we need to recalibrate our cost proposition in what the cost of sourcing goods and services away are. And I don't think the answer is everything should be local. I think, again, we need to come down to a, a, what is the new optimal that can, that can integrate in the costs and the risks associated with this new world order and, and these types of uh, risks that, quite frankly, we were not doing 12 months ago from a public health perspective or 12 years ago from a climate change perspective. So this is interesting because, of course, for the project sponsors, cost is everything because it, it leads directly into profitability or the lag thereof. But for governments, they might define cost differently. So do you think when you think of when you speak of cost now, is it cost in terms of monetary and financial cost or is it cost also in terms of the opportunity cost? of uh, sourcing inland versus outside you know in other words what how do we define cost here and and what matters i think uh you know you make a very good point you know uh, we can have so many different definitions of, of cost and value and price and and from different perspectives the public versus the operator the commercial sponsor it means different things. In the short term, I think we need to be looking at cost as the, the, the actual price we pay for a good or service to deliver on that because a, we need to run a machine, we need to produce a good. That is, the, that is a short term, in my view, a short term definition of the cost, the price that we pay to get that good or service delivered and produced. From the opportunity cost, I think we can shift and look at something more along the lines of value. And what is the value that we're creating in the medium and long term by investing now for a future return, be that from a public perspective of job creation, economic impact, producing that good or service here. But we have to find the right balance because if we're not mindful from a public perspective of the absolute importance of cost drivers in industry, then we will have no value in the future at all because we won't have any industry. That's, that's, that's creating a demand for the goods, the services, the jobs that we need to, to base an economy on. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I want to go back to, because I'm intrigued by the notion that COVID-19 per se is not going to reset the clock in terms of the importance and the, the relevance of uh, local content, but that what we have to think about is how it's structured including cost and, and other things. And I wanted to just offer a different dimension and see what you think of this. So, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of the mining industry, the oil industry, the gas industry, at least for the foreseeable future, seem to be basically what they have been. So structurally, it doesn't seem like things are changing. Having said that, my sense is that governments and companies are beginning to factor in this risk of pandemics a lot more than they previously used to. And I wanted to ask you whether or not if you look at local content from a risk perspective, how you see it as a potential form of risk based on the po potential for more pandemics that may constrain movement of goods. Could we argue that it is potentially part of the risk matrix? And if so, how? I think we absolutely could. We absolutely could, probably should, and will factor this in. And I think we would probably play it out by saying, now that we have 
uh, yet another, unfortunately, tragic set of data points associated with COVID on people, on productivity, on the movement of goods around the world and services, the flow of commodities and capital. We're able to model out various scenarios of what will happen or what could happen with another pandemic or even a, re, you know, a, a, a regional outbreak or a national outbreak of a particular virus or strain or something like this. So I do expect that it will be thought that way. I just equally hope though, that I think in the long run, as we make business decisions, I think it's healthier and more sustainable to be thinking of these local content and the factors that drive local content and why we do it rather than a, a risk-based decision thinking, but a value-based decision thinking. And, and that's where we get into the long-term planning of saying it's more, we are delivering more value for humanity and ultimately as a company, as an operator, by sourcing X, Y, and Z locally. We're doing it, yes, it does mitigate risk, but more importantly, it's creating greater value because I believe that value is ultimately what drives profitability, but also the best production of good services and healthy companies and economies. So uh, I guess my point there is that, yes, I agree, it's part of the risk matrix and we can value we can, we can cost it and look at it, but I hope that doesn't take the place of seeing it as a value driver first. That's interesting. Your response is consistent to your prior one in which you said that, you know, don't focus on the prescribed targets because here you are really moving from doing the necessary to offering host governments a value proposition. And, and so if we look at it from a value perspective rather than a risk perspective, then the dynamics change completely and then it becomes enlightened self-interest rather than sheer compliance. That, uh, uh, that's very interesting. I, I have one last question for you, if I may. Assume that uh, a client comes to you and says, look, I have this feeling that I just can't progress with local content from the same point of departure that I did before the pandemic but I don't really know what are the critical things that should guide my thinking as I go forward now in the new era. What two things would you say to a client when you now think about local content? These are the fundamentals that you ought to import, which you wouldn't have had to import had we not learned what we have from COVID-19. Good question and, and certainly a tough one to end with. So, th so thank you for, for <laughs> making sure I'm challenged to the very last point here. Uh, one thing it, which which is probably not the most interesting response to this, but I will take it, is at the end of the day, uh, to a client, you have to be compliant with the law of the land. And so COVID or not COVID, unless there's an ongoing discussion with your host government to change things, if you are under a legal obligation to deliver contractually what you've said, then, then, then we need to do some creative thinking and acrobatics to make sure that you do deliver on that contract and you're compliant. I would never, I would never want to see that not happen because the trust in a contract is sacrosanct. Even to use it as a starting point to engage your counterpart to try to revisit some of those clauses given the new state of the world. But you don't want to do it when you're not compliant. But getting beyond that, I, I'd say the first thing is looking at the, the criticality of what you need as a business to deliver. Because if you're not a going concern and if you don't have a good and a service to produce that's being bought, then all of these things become extraneous discussions. We need to make sure that there's that. 
And so I would, I would look towards uh, the second point. So the criticality of business function. And then the second part is optimizing and saying, you now, you know, your, your pool of resources that you had and all the things you were doing before has shrunk tremendously. So put it all on the table of what you're doing locally and optimize, make the decisions based on good data and analysis of saying what is going to create the most number of high value jobs or what is going to help you create the long-term value vis-a-vis local content that you want to. And don't be afraid to wind down or pivot away from activities and engagements that were nice to have, but were not delivering that return that I think is more crucial now than ever. That's wonderful. That's certainly a lot of food for thought for me, and I imagine the listeners. So let me take this time to thank you very much for taking time from your busy schedule to speak with me. I enjoyed uh, your interventions and look forward to our continued dialogue over this important subject matter. Thank you very much, Zachary, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you so much. Take good care.